This is episode 311 of the AWS podcast, released on May 5th, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast, live from beautiful Sydney, Australia, and I'm joined by the amazing Nikki. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be in Australia for the first time. We are face-to-face for the first time. It is very odd. It is very weird to be hearing your voice come out of you. <laughs> Thanks. And you probably just heard in the background, we're not alone. So we've, we've really upped the ante here. We're doing a, a great, fun live event. We have a bunch of cool folks here who are here in Sydney for Sydney Summit. <gasps> Yay! Woo! And have come along for a bit of an, an impromptu a live event where we're doing some recording. So we'll get them involved in the show a little bit later. But this is, of course, an update show. And so we're going to whiz through a bunch of very cool updates. And uh, short program note, normally when Nikki and I do this, we, like I said, can't see one another. (laughs) And normally we use a shared quip document to just indicate when we're going to swap over talking. So this is going to be new because we're actually going to be able to use eye contact to do this. It could end horribly because we might just get it wrong. So It's it's going to be interesting for sure. So let's get right into it. So there was a pretty big infrastructure announcement, which was the new AWS Asia-Pacific Hong Kong region. So not only do I have another one that I can mention when we talk about supported services, but this is pretty exciting for customers in Hong Kong. It's awesome. We have a bunch of announcements in the developer tools topic. I'm really excited about all of them. Um, So the first one, Amplify Console now supports deploying full-stack serverless applications with a single click uh, from GitHub. So now you can uh, basically check in your code to GitHub and then put a Deploy to Amplify Console button on it for other people to deploy that same project. Super cool. The Amplify framework has simplified configuring OAuth 2.0 flows, hosted UI, and AR VR scenes for both mobile and web applications. So we now have integration into the Amplify CLI with Amazon Sumerian, which is awesome. The Amplify framework has announced new Amazon Aurora serverless GraphQL and OAuth capabilities. So if you're getting, if you're diving deep into this one and you already have an Aurora serverless data schema set up, you can now use the Amplify CLI to uh, generate a GraphQL source in AppSync that is your Aurora serverless database. That is very cool. I mean, Amplify is getting towards almost cheating level now. It's like you can say, here's my database, go build me the interface to my database without me doing anything. Basically, you don't have to know anything about AWS. Would you call that an abstraction by any chance? I, I would definitely call that an oh, abstraction. abstraction, very good. Please continue. <laughs> okay, so Amplify wasn't done. There's no, they've, they've been busy. They've been real busy. Uh, the Amplify console has added support for custom headers. Um, so now you can add custom headers specifying each header for HTTP response Um, you know, for debugging, security, informational purposes. The Amplify console has also added support in five additional regions, uh, Tokyo, Seoul, Singapore, Mumbai, and Frankfurt. So this expands the console to 11 regions, which is awesome. And closing out developer tools, the AWS device farm remote access for manual testing on real Android and iOS devices now supports Android OS 8 Plus and iOS 11 Plus devices. So now supporting um, basically the OS operating systems of the now. Exactly, the now and you can, you can swipe, you can swipe up, down. So things like the iPhone XS, the iPhone XR, the Pixel 3, uh, Samsung Galaxy S10s, not seeing any foldables there yet. However, I'm sure, they'll, I'm sure they'll come, they'll come in time. Let's talk storage. One of the things that a lot of customers probably aren't aware of but is worth knowing is that we have a great program called the AWS Public Datasets Program. 
And this allows you to get access to really interesting data sets for use in your own work and your research. We have some new sets from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, uh, Nanyang Technological University from Stanford, from Software Heritage and others. There's a whole big list around astronomy, biology, disaster response, encyclopedia data, etc. We're going to do a special episode of this coming up, so I won't spend too much time on it, but it is an important thing if you need data sets. For machine learning. Absolutely. Extremely important. For anything. Uh, anything new in Compute, Nikki? Yes. Amazon EC2. Oh, you going to say no for a second then. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took me a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amazon EC2 instances, uh, T3A instances, are now generally available. And, and so these are the AMD EPIC processors. So these are very useful if you want a bit of cost savings. Something about 10% cost savings is what we see. The, uh, the T3s are a really useful burstable workload, but you have unlimited amount of bursting that you can do when you need to. So available in a subset of regions at the moment, you'll get a lot more coming out in the future. Also, Amazon EKS, a few updates there. It now delivers Kubernetes control plane logs to Amazon CloudWatch. This is really important because you want to track and audit what's going on in your cluster. Uh, it also now supports the EC2A1 instances as a public preview. So these are the new ARM-based processes that you can use. So again, quite useful. And you can also now tag and have more tags involved in the permissioning for AWS Elastic Beanstalk. So if Beanstalk is what you use to deploy your applications, that is a good one too. Now, one last one in this particular topic is around the use of AWS Parallel Cluster and I wanted to mention this because I can say the word slurm. <laughs> and I, I mentioned this to Nikki earlier and she had no idea what I was talking about, be it in the big data context or even in the... Um, in the cartoon context as well. App developer here. <laughs> so AWS Parallel Cluster 231 now has enhanced support for Slurm Workload Manager. So if you're in the HPC space, um, this will be very exciting to you. And if you're in the cartoon space, it's a delicious beverage. So there you go. <laughs> I feel like you just like saying that word. I like saying Slurm. Yeah, I figured. Uh, so there's been some pretty cool things in databases. I'll let you do the first one because I want to do the next one. You got it. So in the topic of databases, Amazon RDS now supports per second billing, um, which is great. Uh, so now, exactly, if you are billed for 30 seconds instead of, it doesn't even go up to a minute. Like you can just do two seconds of time. Yeah. Um, so look, could lower prices for a lot of customers. I, I, love, I love how the, the increments have dropped over time. I remember when one hour billing was revolutionary, then it was, oh, we need minutes now, it's one second increments. There is a 10 minute minimum charge. Uh, but other than that, it's one second increments. The one I was very excited about is uh, an Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports instances up to 64 TB bytes of storage and 80,000 IOPS of provisioned IO. Wow. Yeah, that's that's big. I remember working with a bank back in uh, the early 2000s where they had a 20 terabyte Oracle database and it was on a hunkin' big piece of iron with a big storage system and was obscenely expensive. And now I can go clickety-click and have 64 terabytes. So it's pretty pretty cool. Um, Amazon RDS has also enhanced monitoring for storage and host metrics. So now if you have more than one underlying physical device, it'll give you the information for the device. It also now provides additional host metrics as well. You should always be monitoring and managing. So Amazon RDS for Postgres now also supports major update versions of Postgres 11. And this is a big deal because uh, some of the earlier versions of Postgres are now end of support. Uh, 9.3 being a prime example of that. You can now upgrade from 9.4 to 11 directly, 9.5 and 9.6 directly, which is nice. 
very handy, plus some other cool options. Plus you can now also do a direct data import from Amazon S3 as well. So some pretty cool stuff there. Um, but if you are wanting to use uh, Amazon Aurora and Amazon RDS, you can now migrate from MySQL 5.7 databases much more quickly as well. So some cool uh, dump and load options happening on there. And some new updates in the serverless space. Moving on to Amazon Aurora serverless, uh, they weren't quite done there. They now support sharing and cross-region copying of snapshots. <laughs> so you can now share snapshots of your database clusters uh, with other AWS accounts or publicly. Excellent, <clears throat> excellent. Now, I know the next item we're going to talk about is something that's near and dear to your heart because you, you came from a sort of .NET stack that's world right. early on in the career. And this is now the simplification of replatforming Microsoft SQL Server databases from Windows to Linux. Linux. Ooh, this is an incredible announcement. So what's, give us the, the, quick, the quick highlight <clears throat> of this one. So, I mean, I think just the fact that SQL Server databases could run on Linux was um, an amazing thing that happened just, just a couple years ago. And uh, now to say that you can actually move your SQL Server databases from Windows to Linux with an assistant yep. is incredible and should take uh, a lot of customers hopefully decreasing their cost of Windows licenses. Now they can run their SQL Server databases on Linux. Exactly. Basically, if you're running SQL Server 2008, which is going out of support, if not already out of support by the time you That's hear true. this, this will allow you to automatically check for incompatibilities, export the database from the Windows VM, import it to an EC2 instance running SQL Server 2017, so you're now upgraded and in support, but it's running on Ubuntu 16.04, so you're no longer paying operating system licenses. Should be very easy now to, to migrate your databases. It's very cool. Some other cool database updates. Amazon Redshift now has much more control over snapshots, so you can now choose when your snapshots take place. You can also bulk delete your snapshots uh, when they're not associated with a cluster or even if they are and you need to get rid of them. Another really cool one is if you are living in an organization where you need to do kind of IP address filtering to access services, we are now specifying the IP address range for Amazon DynamoDB endpoints. So now you can use that as a filter approach. You can now also tag Amazon DynamoDB tables when you create them. You may say, but Simon, you could always do that. Aha, you could do it after you created it. However, now you can do it when you create it. And finally, if you use DynamoDB Mapper, it now supports Amazon DynamoDB transactional API calls. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with transactional API calls, they will allow you to basically um, post multiple calls at once, and then they will either all fail or all succeed. So this really enhances uh, what you can do with DynamoDB. It's very cool. Let's talk analytics. What do you got for us? Analytics. Um, Amazon Elasticsearch Service announces support for Elasticsearch 6.5 and Kibana 6.5. So that's cool. Elasticsearch Service has also added event monitoring and alerting support. So now um, it provides built-in event monitoring and alerting enable you to monitor the data stored in your domain and automatically send notifications based on pre-configured thresholds. Elasticsearch wasn't done. They now offer improved performance at lower costs with C5, M5, and R5 EC2 instances. Very nice. AWS Glue now supports some additional configuration options for memory-intensive jobs. In the past, you got the allocation that you got, which is great because it was highly abstracted away from you. Oh, everyone's got their mouths full. You didn't say abstracted, did I you? didn't say abstracted, did I? Mm. <laughs> yes, we're playing a game with the audience today. Uh, now what you can do is you can actually choose from two new configurations, the G1X and G2X, which give you more memory per executor, which can be useful at the right time. 
Then there were a bunch of EMR releases. Uh, I know that, uh, Nikki, you love talking about EMR technologies like HBase, Uzi, Flink, etc. I mean, the naming is yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. I just feel like you want to say those updates because I you like them. love They're great names. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about Flink. Apache Flink? I mean, that's pretty cool. So there's some, some really good updates there as well. Uh, there's also updated Apache Phoenix and Apache Zeppelin as well. Uh, some changes to Amazon Kinesis Data Stream. Not a code change. This is a license change. It is now moved from uh, the previous uh, licensing scheme, which was the Amazon Software License, to Apache License 2.0. So really useful to build on from that. Amazon Managed Streaming for Kafka is now available in open preview in seven AWS regions, US East, US West, Ireland, Singapore, Sydney, and Tokyo. So if you're interested in uh, the fully managed service that we offer for Kafka, you're, it's now available in seven additional regions. Amazon QuickSight now supports localization, percentile calculations, and more. Um, so it's now localized in 10 major languages. Uh, with support for these languages across the entire product makes it easier than ever for everyone to get insights from their data. So it's available in English, German, Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese, Japanese, Korean, simplified Chinese, and traditional Chinese, which is great. It also supports percentile calculations that enable you to generate 50th, 90th, 95th, or nth percentile of any metric to easily visualize distribution of your data. Important things happen at the 95th percentile. <laughs> of course they do. They do. That's where the interesting stuff is. Uh, let's talk IoT. Amazon Free Artos now supports resource tagging, which means you can more easily control things at large scale. And the AWS IoT Analytics now supports single-step setup of IoT Analytics resources from AWS IoT Core. I said IoT a lot of times then. <laughs> uh, basically what it means is it's really easy to get your analytics up and running fast, which is important in an IoT environment. Especially. Moving over to end user computing, the AWS client VPN is now available in four additional regions, which they are Frankfurt, London, Singapore, and Sydney. Yay, Sydney! That's exciting. <laughs> Everyone in this live audience. <laughs> Amazon WorkDocs um, launched a new migration service that helps you migrate your organization's files to Amazon WorkDocs. Um, the service is currently available in private preview. And Amazon WorkDocs also has introduced document approvals. So starting today, you can actually create a approval workflow to route documents and other files stored in WorkDocs to more one or more users for their approval. So now you can build workflows around approving documents from one area of the business to another. Very nice. Let's talk about machine learning. And the Amazon SageMaker team seem to be always busy. I, I think they might be robots. I don't know. But um, <laughs> but they have reduced prices. Yay, reduced prices. We Amazing. love reduced prices. That's my favorite thing to talk about. Reduced prices in the Asia-Pacific Tokyo and Asia-Pacific Seoul regions. So uh, they've dropped by 20% on P3 instances in Tokyo and 15% in the Asia-Pacific Seoul region. There's also now greater control of root access to your notebook instances and there's some really good improvements to SageMaker Ground Truth. Uh, things around simplifying your workloads, uh, some new data, data labeling vendors, I should say, and more expansion in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, so you can now use, for example, Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth in the Asia-Pacific Sydney region. Yay! Yay. The SageMaker one is pretty cool because if you're working in notebooks together with other people, you can now enable and disable root access. Very important. Very important. <laughs> 
And uh, there's been a couple of language-related things. Uh, Amazon Transcribe now supports real-time speech-to-text in British, English, French, and Canadian French, adding to some of the existing languages. And a really big update for Amazon Polly, which now has Arabic language support. And this is really important because it uh, is used by over 400 million people around the world. So there is a new, vo- a new voice, I should say, called Zena. And she has a clear and natural-sounding female voice. And it's interesting. What I didn't realize is that Arabic has uh, some 30 different dialects. And the. I definitely didn't know that. Oh, no, exactly. So the one that Zena says or speaks in is called Modern Standard Arabic or MSA, uh, which is also used in broadcasting across the region. So just interesting on that one. Comprehend has an announcement. They now support confusion matrices for custom classification. So. We basically removed the complexity to create custom classification models, and now you can create a confusion matrix to label your data and make and have Comprehend make decisions based off of that, which is pretty cool. So now you can focus on creating better training content. Um, AWS DeepLens in- introduces the new bird classification project template, which I think you were really excited about. I'm excited about. about it. You weren't excited about this one at all. I'm excited about this because this, what this does is it will tell you what uh, particular species there are about 200 different species of bird and, and I was ex- hold the deep lens up and it'll and tell you can you. aim it at the bird well I was excited about this for two reasons because firstly um, our New Zealand cousins um, have a really strong uh, process around biodiversity and biosecurity and so I know this will be really useful for them but also I thought it'd be a really cool experiment to see if we can see if we can tell the difference between an African swallow and a European swallow yeah, yeah, we can see everyone in the room who's old enough to remember Monty Python jokes and those who aren't. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an exercise for the listener to figure out the laden versus unladen and the velocity type stuff. So we'll figure that out. Um, some networking stuff, a really important thing around security for Amazon CloudFront. Uh, there is now more security around adding the alternate domain name to a distribution. The long and the short of it is you need to be able to attach an SSL or TLS certificate to it if you're going to make that change. So uh, lots more detail in the show notes for that one. Um, Amazon CloudFront is also now available in mainland China, which is great. So there are three new edge locations or points of presence in Beijing, Shanghai and Zhongzhou, which I probably said terribly wrong, uh, but they're there so you can use them. What else? Private Link has expanded support for Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose. So now if you're using Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose, you can now utilize Private Link to securely ingest data. Um, Private Link provides private connectivity between VPCs, AWS services, and on-prem applications securely over the Amazon network. The AWS Global Accelerator is now available in six additional regions, and they are Europe, uh, London, Paris, Sydney, yay, hey. Mumbai, Seoul, and... Uh, Central Canada regions. Yeah, and this is a really useful network layer service because this is useful for global access and globally distributed user bases, which is a fiendishly difficult problem. And this lets you use AWS's highly available and congestion-free global network to direct traffic to the users where they are closest to, which is very, very nice. Uh, Quick one on some customer engagement. Amazon Pinpoint now offers an analytics dashboard for transactional SMS messages. So now you can see how many you sent, uh, the, the number that were received, what your delivery rate is, all that good stuff, country-based stuff as well. But let's talk some application integration. Yeah, moving over to application integration, we have two quick announcements. AWS AppSync now supports tagging GraphQL APIs. So now you can assign tags to your GraphQL APIs in AWS AppSync, and you can easily um, categorize and track cost allocation now with tags. 
Amazon MQ now supports Active MQ Minor version 5.15.9. So you can now launch Apache Active MQ 5.15.9 brokers on Amazon MQ. That is a very long version name. That's the version I've always wanted to run. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk game tech. Uh, Shared gaming is a really important thing and now Amazon GameLift real-time servers are now generally available. These were uh, announced in preview back at the Game Developers Conference uh, earlier this year. Uh, they're now available to help you create and customise affordable game servers. Building a multiplayer online game experience sounds like a great idea till you try and code it. <laughs> then it's less of a good idea. Um, so this is now available, which means you can really get up and running. A few lines of JavaScript, and let's face it, who can't write a few lines of JavaScript? Very simple to now get up and running. Millions of players, which is pretty cool. Uh, a bunch of really interesting media services uh, that have taken place around uh, the AWS Elemental packages. If you're uh, in that space, uh, you can now use Media Tailor to improve support for Dash endpoints and also improved monetization options. Uh, Elemental Media Live now has some low-cost live channels with a single pipeline option. I'm even calling that a price cut. What do you think, audience? Low cost? That sounds good to me. Yeah, well, they weren't committed to that one. I don't know. They want, they want more, more percentages. How about uh, this one? We are also speeding up video processing with new accelerator yeah. transcoding. That one's That's really cool. You can use that for your home streaming, aren't you? Absolutely. <laughs> a transcoding is a, is a hard challenge problem to solve. So uh, solving it and even faster I think processing speed 25, is Up to 25 times faster, which That's is very incredible. Cool. And also some new support for chunked object transfer, which means you have ultra low latency video workflows, which if you are in the video streaming world is really, really important to you. Moving over to management and governance, um, AWS CloudFormation has given updates for Amazon EC2, ECS, and Elastic Load Balancer. You can check some of the updates um, online. AWS Systems Manager Session Manager now enables session encryption using customer keys. So you can now use the AWS Systems Manager Session Manager to encrypt session interaction data with your own encryption key managed by AWS KMS. AWS Systems Manager now supports use of parameter store at higher API throughput. This one is really cool. Yeah. So the AWS Systems Manager parameter store, if you're using it to store keys or important information, now supports up to 1,000 requests per second. Uh, this allows you to run higher concurrent access to a larger number of parameters. Very nice. And that's just through the parameter store settings tab that you change that. There's also some a, a new concept around parameters which are called advanced parameters. And these have three enhanced capabilities. They let you create more than 10,000 parameters. You can use a larger parameter value size up to 8K, which is really useful if you're doing uh, certificates and stuff like that. And also you can add policies to your parameters, which is very cool. That's so you really can, cool. Yeah. So you can do things around expiration times. You can track whether something's been rotated or not been rotated, um, whether parameters haven't been changed in a, in a sort of enough period of time. I mean... This is one of those ones that I can see that is kind of just slid into the service and is going to be used in all kinds of different ways. Absolutely. Now, this I, is the next one. Well, that's a, I have a question for you, Nikki. Is, uh, have you ever wanted to query an endpoint and find out what services are available to you in rich regions? Absolutely. <laughs> all the time. A hundred times. Can you do that? Can you do that now? You can, amazingly now. so. Now. Using the AWS CLI for uh, Systems Manager Parameter Store actually. They have now added endpoints where you can now get not only all the regions, you can get all the services that are available in that region. You can also do the reverse and search for a region and or search for a service and see all the regions available for that service 
There's a ton of different queries now many available. Per, many permutations. Jeff Barr's blog is excellent on that. And the good news is it's available now and it costs you a grand total of zero, nothing. Yay, our favourite price. Uh, if you use the AWS service catalogue, it also now supports tag updating, which is really important because often if you're creating a service catalogue, the life cycle of those catalogue items are quite long, particularly in the large corporate environments. You can now update them to make sure you're managing according to current processes and policies. Moving over to robotics, AWS RoboMaker has announced cloud extensions for the robot operating system Melodic. Um, so the RoboMaker service is a service that makes it easy to develop, simulate, and deploy intelligent robotic applications at scale. And it has now expanded its extensions to ROS Melodic users. And NICE DCV has introduced a Mac OS native client. If you're not familiar with NICE, DCV, it's a remote visualization protocol that enables users to securely access remote desktop and application sessions with 3D graphic applications on servers with high performance GPUs. And so now this remote visualization protocol can be used by Amazon AppStream and AWS RoboMaker. Exactly. It's built built into those particular services. The nice thing is it has a, a HTML5 client for browser access and this native uh, Native client supports up to four monitors at 4K each. So I recommend all of you uh, tell your boss, hey, I need to test this. So I'll need four 4K capable monitors, please. <laughs> let's, let's talk, yeah, curved ones. Thank you very much, curved ones. Let's talk migration. Really cool addition to the AWS server migration service. You can now uh, migrate virtual machines running in Microsoft Azure straight to the AWS cloud. So you can. Yay. How convenient. <laughs> That's, many people in the audience are very happy about that. Um, this is really useful for large-scale server migrations. Uh, basically, you can discover your Azure virtual machines. You can group them into applications and then migrate them in one single unit. No coordination of replication for individual servers and fiddling with application dependencies. They can just go as a job lot, which is kind of nice. In the topic of security, the AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority is now available in five additional regions, which are Seoul, Mumbai, Paris, North, Car North California, and Stockholm. You wanted to say North Carolina. I really you? did. I don't know why. <laughs> um, it's got to be like jet lag. I can't uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll blame that. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll AWS Single Sign-On now offers certificate customization to support your corporate policies. So if you're currently using SSO, you now can customize the certificate it uses when you access applications such as Salesforce, ServiceNow, Microsoft Office, um, any of the others. Yeah, very handy. Some training and certification updates. Uh, we have tripled the number of testing locations for getting your AWS certification. And I can say conclusively, you can even get it done in Tasmania now, which you used to not be able wow. to. Yeah, which is very good. So we do love people to get their certifications and it's a good thing to do. And there is now a new... AWS certified Alexa skill builder specialty exam. So if you are in the Alexa world, that is one to get onto. We just did all the updates and I think we did it in record time. That was a lot of updates. You should do this with a live audience every time. So now we're going to switch gears. Factor. <laughs> we're going to switch gears and do a bit of Q&A with the audience because um, I know there's a, a lot of people have interesting questions about the podcast and the why and the how, etc. Now they've seen us record it, they know there's, there's little if no glamour behind the process. <laughs> nope. So what we're going to do is, uh, is I know a few of you had a few questions up, up your sleeves when we were having a few drinks earlier. So over to you for any questions. So I know, Simon, you travel a lot. Um, you know, different time zones, different countries and regions, probably availability zones as well. <laughs> uh, what keeps you up and how do you actually manage the recording? Like, 
when you're at reinvent and places like that. Thank you. So, the, so the question was, um, how do I keep up with the recording of the podcast? And um, as I tell people who are embarking on a podcasting career, if you can call it that, don't. <laughs> is that is that really? It's the same as when you're buying a pet. You know, they say a puppy's for life, not just for Christmas. Well, yep. a podcast is the same. Um, people put a lot of trust in having a podcast and choosing it to bring it into their own listening rotation, and. I know as a podcast listener myself, I get really frustrated with those podcasts that have like 10 episodes and then they just stop. It's like, leave me hanging here. Uh, so I prioritise recording it. So it means uh, staying up late, recording in, in weird places. This is, this is the highly sophisticated recording device I use. This is a little uh, snowball um, snowflake. I think is what it's called. So basically the smallest one. This is the original microphone I bought for the first AWS podcast and it wow. still travels with me. Re- reinvent is a big challenge. Um, there's not a lot of sleep. I'm often almost deliriously tired when I'm recording those. So, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> this, is, this is a Pepsi Max I'm drinking here. At the I think you saw evidence of, of what happened to me today. I <laughs> like serious jet lag and I can't speak English anymore. So. Can, can I tell you how upset I get at myself when it's two in the morning at reInvent and I keep getting it wrong and I just want to get that episode out there? Because I really appreciate that people, people like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a passion project is how I would put it that way. I think the benefit, though, is that it's recorded and it's usually not live and so you can just... That's true. can edit all the bad stuff out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nikki, question for you. What's the difference between streaming and podcasting for you? Ooh, good question. A really good question. Okay, so I would say streaming, there's a lot more like audience engagement, right, because it's live. Um, I, they can't see me, but they, I mean, they can see me, but I can't see them, but they're chatting. So like I can see their chat coming in and like what they're saying and how they're interacting with me or in saying something based on what I'm saying. So podcasting is, is more difficult because I can't see the response necessarily. I also don't like the sound of my voice. So listening back to it is difficult <laughs> and it's hard when I can't see Simon cause I don't know when he wants me to pick up, um, and that's why we came up with the cunning plan of using the shared quip document. Yeah. Just r- like putting rubbish puts in. an X in the quip doc and that means, okay, he's going. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> it's a highly sophisticated uh, production process. It really is. It's in real time, yeah. so it works. It does. So in a similar vein there, have you ever considered doing the podcast live? So the question is, have I ever considered doing the podcast live? We, we mused with it. Um, I don't know, Maybe. Maybe I think I think we came close when when Jeff and I did um, did the Midnight Madness for last reinvent. That was kind of quasi was quasi it live? live. It wasn't live. It was, but it could have been live if we wanted to. I guess that the feel the feel we try and go for is a live to tape type feeling. Um, so I try and keep the editing to a minimum and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. So we we keep it pretty rough and ready. But um, podcasts aren't really live that often. But um, he's he's one. <laughs> is there a live podcast like? platform that you would even go because like there's a ton of live streaming platforms where it just kind of makes sense right but when people go search for a podcast is there a place to find a live podcast it's called twitch i mean like the radio (laughs) radio you guys talked about a lot of cool very cool new technology personally for each of you what was the most unexpected thing that amazon released where you kind of went like what they released that why Ooh, what's the most unusual? Really I think I think what it comes down to is which domain you're familiar with. So so I've tried to be an IT generalist in my career, but I don't know everything about everything. So there's a lot of stuff that happens, particularly in the media space. I'm like, 
none of this makes sense to me, but yeah, it obviously fits somewhere. I try to also do the same and learn as much as I can about the areas that I'm not an expert in. But yeah, yeah. I mean, big data comes up a lot. <laughs> I'm like, mm. I think probably the one that came up recently that shocked me the most or surprised me the most in a pleasant way was one that we talked about today, which was the, the migration of. Um, of SQL Server on Windows to SQL Server on Linux. You know, I'm still of the generation that, like, you know, Windows and Linux were two really, really separate things and they couldn't talk to one another. And, like, just to think that that's a thing and and available so easily, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I think it was surprising, but it, it wasn't like, why did they do it? It was more like, that is a really mm. smart thing to do because I worked with a lot of customers. Like, I was on the Windows team before at AWS we have a Windows team, by the way. You didn't Amazing know that. Windows team. And I was on the Windows team, and it was a common problem of people who were just like, I'd like to move my stuff to Linux. Like, I have SQL Server databases, but I don't know how. My IT uh, people don't know any Linux commands. Like, where do I get started? And we, like, didn't have a solution for them to see this, like, a year later is, like, incredible. Excellent. So then uh, all that's left to do is to sign off. And, uh, and Nikki, how do people find us? Um, people can find us on Twitter, so they can find each of our Twitters. His is Simon underscore Alicia, and then mine is my name as an oronym, which is a linguistical term um, that just means like the sounds of other words make up the sound of a new word. So it's K-N-E-E-K-E-Y, like wow. a knee and then a key. So what's what's that? What is, uh, an an oronym? An oronym. Have you never? I'm a linguist major, so I know oh, all these things. Go. But yeah, it's called an oronym. So if you take the sounds of two other words and then you put them together or multiple and you make a new word that sounds like something else, it's called an oronym. I think we've all learned something here today then. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. Please do tell others about the podcast. That is the best way we spread the word. And until next time, keep on building.